That would uh, not be me on the baseball field, except for the last bit. Uh, uh, it's funny, you know, I was just, uh, we've been thinking about doing that video for several weeks, and uh, uh, the funny thing about that is what makes that video funny is that everybody knows that that game is not designed to be played by one person. There's certain things in life that aren't, uh, we're, just, that we're just not wired to be done by one guy. Uh, like moving. How many moved in the last year? All right. I moved like three times in the last year. And uh, yesterday, yesterday for the third time, for some reason we keep picking bad landlords and I pay my rent and then they don't turn around and put it on the mortgage. So the bank comes and takes the house and kicks us out. So they did it again uh, yesterday. And so I put out the call to the crash and just like every time we've had to move, a pile of people showed up to help. Woohoo! Way to go, K2, right? And uh, as we were piling boxes and taking them out and everything, you ever notice that you go to move and there's boxes that are one man jobs, easy enough? And then there's boxes that are two people jobs. And then there's certain things like some of my music gear and stuff. Three people is not enough. And you gotta have four people for different stuff. And some things just take a team, help somebody move. So that's what I want to talk about today. We're talking about connecting. We're talking about helping somebody move. And since we're on this 50-day adventure, I mean, who's got their blue armbands today? Let me see them, all right? We're on this. We're talking about the adventure of connecting, the adventure of helping somebody move. And by helping somebody move, I don't mean like moving like we did yesterday. I mean moving like moving through the adventure, You know, there's certain things the Bible teaches. There are certain things that we're made to do on our own, spiritually speaking. I don't want everybody in the room with me when I pray all the time, but sometimes I need a few people. I don't want everybody in the room when I study the Bible sometimes, but sometimes I need some people. And I'm not talking about this. When we talk about the adventure of connecting, we're not talking about this right here. There's too many people here. I'm talking about breaking it down. A few people. There's only a few people, spiritually speaking, that I need around me at different times. I was thinking uh, the other day, uh, you know, life is kind of made up. This adventure, great adventures are kind of made up of just a few experiences. You can break the adventure down into just a few experiences. Three, to be precise. Write them down. If you're taking notes, there's only three things that make up this adventure that we're on. There's only three things that make up all of life. I'm getting ready to give you a big life secret right now. Three things that make up all of life. Number one, there's joy. A lot to be happy about in life. There's kids to be born. There's marriages to happen. There's, uh, there's pasta to eat. You know, there's chicken wings, there's joy. How many got, raise your hand if you got any joy in your life. Should be everybody in the room, all right? Okay, and then there's pain, right? There's joy and there's pain. Write it down. This is deep, deep spiritual stuff I'm giving you right here. There's joy in life and there's pain. In this spiritual, in this adventure we're on, there's joy and there's pain. You know, there's falcons, (laughs) The Atlanta Falcons, that's some pain, some sorrow for me, all right? There's, uh, you know, sickness, that's some pain. Somebody shout something out to me. Give me some pain. The Red Sox, well, no, I don't even want to hear it from you, Steve, because you've had joy with them, all right? (laughs) Debt, did you say debt? Debt is some pain. If you got debt in here like me, that is some serious pain, right? What else? Death, obviously. What else? All right. So, huh? Okay. That works for me. So there's joy and there's pain. And then there's a third component of life. A third component of the adventure. There's the, the middle part. <laughs> there's the middle part there. There's, that. there's joy and pain and then the, the, the in-between. <laughs> There's joy, pain, and in between. It's that stuff in the middle. It's not high. It's not low. It's just kind of... 
Now give me an in the middle. Somebody shout one out. <laughs> no. All right. Give me an in the middle. Going to work every day of your life. That's the middle. Routine. That's more, that sounds more like pain. Give me an in the middle. All right. Family. That can be in the middle, yeah. Same routine every day with them three rugrats of mine. Every day. It's every day. When they were born, that was joy. Oh, he looks like me. He's beautiful. Now it's every day of my life. Same thing. Over and over and over and over and over. So there's the high, the low, and the middle. And all of us in here, every one of us, we got to move through this thing. Sometimes we're high. That was the wrong thing to say. Sometimes we're, we're having some joy. Maybe sometimes we are high, but that's not what I'm talking about. Sometimes we're having some joy. Sometimes we're having some pain. And most of the time, we're kind of in the middle there. Isn't this deep? But the thing about it is, all three of those things take a team. All three of those things take a team. Now, there's certain joys that I can carry on my own. I don't have to go and call my Life Together group up when I got the last pudding pop in the fridge, right? That's a joy, but it's not something you call, <laughs> call your buddies up. There's certain pain I can carry on my own. We're equipped to carry it. If I'm a week late on the light bill, I'm not going to call Steve up and cry about it, right? There's certain pain we can carry. There's certain in-between we can carry. We all get up and go to work and do our thing. We don't, have, we don't call our buddies up and cry because we have to go to work. Oh, or we don't call people up every minute we're bored. We just put a movie in the DVD player and we go about our business, right? But then there's certain things in each of those categories. There's certain joys you can't carry on your own. I remember once I was, um, I was, uh, I, this is just a few years ago. I'm getting ready to be, make myself very vulnerable to you, all right? I'm not athletic. I'm a musician. That's how I roll. I don't do sports. But a few years ago when I was pastoring a tiny little church in Georgia, uh, there was a karate, one of these storefront karate places right near the church. And I'd been sitting around typical pastor's life, you sit around a lot, you study a lot, you talk on the phone a lot, and you gain a lot of weight, right? So I was in that position. I was kind of job of, hutting, job of the hutting that thing, you know? I'm just kind of got the computer mouse and the Bible, and I'm talking on the phone, and I'm kind of, and I'm like, and this guy comes over, nice-looking guy, great shape. He comes into the room, into the church where I was. He said, he introduces himself. He's very commanding presence, and he says, I... You know, I'm looking for a place to do my karate testing for my school. And we had this nice little church, right? And I'm like, I'll trade you. If I do this anymore, I will be Job of the Hut and I will have a heart attack. I need some exercise. So I'll trade you. You come and do your testing here and you give me free karate lessons. So anybody martial artists at all? Good. Don't raise your hand. That's fine. All right. You start out with a white belt. And you're just basically like a freshman in high school. You're just the lowest of the low, right? And so, and then you, you go through a test. If you pass that test, then you get a yellow. You pass that test, you get an orange. You pass that test, and there's different things you got to do. Well, I did this for years. And I've never done anything athletic in my life. And so here I am. i got this tiny little church, probably about as big as this group of people right here. And I'm, and I'm telling them every Sunday. And they've heard all my stories. I'm not athletic. I was one of those guys that you shoved in a locker when I was in high school. You know, I was picking underwear out of my fanny. There was all kinds of stuff going on. I was not one of those guys. But I was doing good. For the first time in my life, I keep passing physical tests. And I went for years. And I went to take my black belt test. Now, you've got to understand, this little church I was pastoring, they'd walked with me from the time I was white belt all the way to the time I was 
getting ready to be black belt. And you've got to understand, if you're going to test for a belt, there's certain things you have to do. You've got to pass uh, what they call the, the kata or whatever, which is a bunch of moves. You've got to pass some sparring where you actually fight a live human being. And you can't get killed if you want to pass. And then you've got you to gotta do the boards. You've got to actually break boards. Now, that was the part that made me nervous. Very, very nervous. Because if you didn't break the board with using the right technique and you got two tries back to the drawing board and it was another four months of training before you got to test again. Now, I'd gone for three and a half years. Never failed a test. But the black belt test, they, help, they hold a board up like this, right? It's some guy like 40 feet tall. He holds a board like this. And you can't, you know, you don't hit it. You got to do this thing. I'm not going to do it because last few years have been hard on my body and I probably couldn't do it. But, all right, you got to do this thing where you go, yeah, you jump up in the air and you, Pah! right? And you got to break that board and you got to break it. You got two tries or it's back to the drawing board. So I, I got to be honest with you, I was nervous. So here I am, I'm getting ready to get my black belt. And I had it in my mind, I'm going to invite my little church, my little community of people, this group of people I've been walking through this journey with. But I was nervous. I was nervous I wouldn't make it. And then they'd all, I would have invited them all out, and then I wouldn't make it, and I'd be embarrassed. So I just brought my wife and my two boys at the time. Just me and mine. Because if I fail in front of her, she sees me fail all the time. It's no big deal, right? So it's the day of the test, right? You got to understand, in practice, I had done this trick, this yuck. About 30% of the time, in practice, I broke the board. So I'm approaching this test in front of all these people thinking there is a very good chance I won't make it. So there's... The same guy that came through my door of the church the first day. And he holds the board up. This is my, sorry, this is my master, right? His name was Master. You had to call him Master, all right? And I, you understand, I'm in awe of this guy. I'm in awe of him because he's so gifted. And he holds the board up and he just kind of scowls at me. Just, <laughs> right? And he says, Go. Thing broke. I was like Walker, Texas Ranger, man. I was, I came down, right? And the the satisfaction. And then you stand in the line, they do this big ceremony, right? They line everybody up, and you put your arms out, and the master, Skiles, has to deign to put his arms around you and tie the belt on. That's the that was one of the most glorious moments of my life. In front of my wife and children. Nothing against my wife. She's perfect. She does three, three, three things wrong a year maybe, right? But there was something about that. I wanted my crew there, my church, the people I'd walked through. And now we were a little church. There's certain joys in life that are not designed for a person to carry by themselves. I got done with that and I'm like, my wife's corralling the kids. She's like, good job, baby. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, I need to share this with somebody. I need somebody to help me move this. Move through this and maximize the pleasure of it. Certain joys in life, you need somebody to help you move. And then there's certain mid-level points in life. And young people, the younger people in here, you got this down pat. Because most of your life is right here in the middle there. You had not had kids yet. You know, you get an A in math class. Woo! You know? Everything's kind of... There's certain middle parts of life. Certain in-between. In-between in, in parts. That you just need somebody to, kick, to, to help you move through it. You need somebody to go to the movies with. And I'm not talking about one person. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a crew. You know what I mean? A group. 
a group of friends, some people that know you. And there's certain pain in life. Certain things we just aren't designed to carry on our own. We're not wired for it. And we need a group. Now, even as I say this, I feel like some of you are turning me off. Because you know, oh, here it goes. Another get involved in a small group thing. Yay. Right? But you know, if it weren't so important, we wouldn't keep hitting on it. And I think God thinks it's important, to be honest with you. And I have some evidence for it. If you, uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Galatians. Turn to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, and I'm going to start reading in verse 1. It says, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Let me read that verse again, verse 2. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. So what's, what's he saying there? Let's, let's put it in the language when I'm thinking of yesterday, and I put out the call, and my crew came to help me move. Carry each other's burdens. Help somebody move. Help somebody move through this life. Get a group of people around you or be someone who's one of the people in that group of people to help somebody move through this adventure that we're on. It's funny, you know, we don't have, most people don't have a problem getting together with a crew of people. Most people, deep down, we understand the importance of that. Because in all of our lives, probably, we have groups of people that are centered around a common interest that we hang out with. Climbers. They congregate together. Pilots, right? Pilots congregate together. Little groups of pilots sit around and brag about how great they are, right? Yeah, y'all got the big head. Come on. I know. Doctors. Three, four doctors sit around because they have this interest in common. Different recreational activities. A bar. Not that I know a lot about that. But a bar. What's what's their common interest? Let's get together at the same watering hole weekly. And our common interest is a beverage. A group of people centered around a beverage. They have a common interest. We understand that instinctively. But it's what's funny about, especially, uh, you know, if you're not a Christ follower in here, you get a pass here, okay? But for us Christ followers in here, When we start centering around in smaller groups, not like this. This is a common interest. We're all gathered. We have a common faith. But man, you could walk in here, watch a sermon, turn around and walk out, never know anybody. You could do that forever if you wanted to. I'm talking about a smaller group. When you talk about church folk getting together in a smaller group, all of a sudden we got our dukes up. When you talk about getting a small group of people together... Centered around spiritual realities. A common interest. A common faith. We get skittish about that. We resist that. We don't resist. Pilots don't resist hanging out together. People with a common watering hole or a bar they go to. There's no resistance there. But when it comes to Jesus stuff. Then I'd rather move through that without anybody's help. I'd rather move through that without getting a small group because there's something about when you get together in a small group and you start talking about spiritual things, now all of a sudden you're not centered around something as meaningless as a beverage. You're centered around something that's personal. And then you have to make yourself vulnerable. (laughs) And you have to open up your life to people in ways that are not entirely comfortable. I understand small groups centered around a common faith is tough. Especially that first moment, you know. 
If anybody, probably all of us in here have had this experience when you get together with a group of folks from church and there's that first night and it's like, turn to the person on your right, tell them something personal about yourself, right? And so then you turn and you're thinking, oh, kill me the whole time, kill me, kill me. Well, I'm Brad, I enjoy hiking and, you know, it, that first moment's tough. And most people... Or no, I won't say most people, that's too strong. I'll say a lot of people, once they get through that first moment, they're not, it's not fun for them. And so they back off. And they begin to separate. And they go, well, I'll just deal. I'll carry my spiritual burden myself. I'll move through this without calling up a crew. But here it says in verse 2, carry each other's burdens. Okay. So then he begins to give us reasons why we ought to carry one another's burdens. He's talking spiritually here. First of all, it says, carry each other's burdens, write this down, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So here's the first reason why you should be a a person who helps somebody move through life spiritually. The first reason is, it's the right thing to do. Write it down. The right thing to do. Woo! Let's all go home. That's enough for you, isn't it? Uh Uh-uh, baby. (laughs) It's the right thing to do is not enough for me. For some reason, I'm too selfish. I'm too self-involved. I don't know what it is. What's in it for me? It's the right thing to do? Eh. Lots of things are the right thing to do. But interesting how it says it. It says, carry each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Wow. Hang on now. That's a little different than just the right thing to do. How many of you, well, I won't ask you to raise your hand. If you're anything like me, when you first started walking with God, immediately, you know, I was raised in, in, in an old-fashioned church, and immediately you begin to see how you need to make adjustments in your life. And there's all these rules you have to follow, and you're supposed to read your Bible every day because it's the right thing to do. And you're supposed to pray every day because it's the right thing to do. And you're supposed to help people because it's the right thing to do. And you begin to do all these things. And then you look at the Ten Commandments, and all ten of them are the right thing to do, and I can't do a one. Right? After a while, you begin to realize even those ten little laws are wearing my butt out. Right? Those ten little things are wearing me out. That gets scary. The right thing to do just just doesn't do it for me. But there's a very interesting thing here. It says, carry each other's burdens... And so fulfill the command, the law of Jesus himself. Okay. Whoa, now now we're getting manageable here. Now, okay, so now I got to figure out, okay, this isn't 10 here. I just got to figure out what is this then? How can I fulfill the command of Christ? What is the law of Christ? And you know, somewhere else in Scripture it tells us. In John John chapter 15, Jesus is talking to his small group, his life together group, his 12, right? And it says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. I love you guys. You're my crew. Now remain in my love. Okay. I dig Jesus' love. How do I remain in it? If you obey my commands. No! I can't even keep the ten that Moses said. Can you imagine what are Jesus' commands? If Moses had ten, only ten, and they're so hard to keep, it wears me out. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My joy may be complete to know I'm about to get a list of commands from Jesus, God in the flesh. And Moses's, little old Moses's, are wearing me out. 
And then he says, verse 12, my command. My command. Singular. My command. Ooh, I'm starting to get encouraged. Is this. Love each other. Love each other. Ooh, wait a minute. Maybe I can do that one. Love each other? Wait a minute. Does it read more? My command is this. Love each other and don't drink, don't smoke, don't sex, don't drug, don't, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. Does it say that? Nope. Go to church every week. Be in a small group. Does it say it? Nope. It says, love each other. Jesus, God in the flesh, has one rule. If you keep it, all these good things will happen. You'll remain in his love. You'll know he loves you. You'll never doubt that he loves you. And your joy will be complete. Well, that sounds pretty good. Jesus will love me. And I'll be happy, completely happy, so to speak. Love each other as I have loved you. Oops. A little trickier. As I have loved you. Okay, I'm back to being discouraged. Because Jesus, ain't nobody ever loved me like Jesus. I don't think I can do that. I'm not sure I can do that. But then you go back to Galatians, chapter 6, and he tells us exactly how to do it. Carry each other's burdens, and so fulfill the law, the command of Christ. Carry each other's Help somebody move. Help somebody move through the high, the low, the middle. The joy, the pain, the in-between. Help somebody move through it. And in that way, if I do that, if I just help somebody move, I can keep that one command. I'll remain in his love. He'll remain in mine. And my joy will be complete. That's a pretty good reason to do that, don't you think? But he goes on. Paul in Galatians 8 gives us another reason why we should bear one another's burdens. It says, verse 1 of chapter 6 in Galatians, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions, and then he can take pride then he can take pride in himself. So what's another reason why I ought to help somebody move through this spiritual journey? I think that's teaching us that it reminds us when we help somebody, it reminds you and me who we truly are. Who we truly are. See, Paul, when he's writing that, he's talking to people who feel like they're maybe above carrying each other's burdens. Wait a minute, I've been to Bible school and stuff. I, I'm not going to go help somebody move. You don't understand, i got a, a doctor in front of my name. No offense, anybody's got a doctor in front of your name in here, all right? All right, no offense. All right? <laughs> Wait, I can't, I can't deal with people's stuff. I can't get together with a small group of people and open my heart and make myself vulnerable to them. I can't do that because that's beneath me. I should be up in front of a big group of people. I should be in front of thousands. And Paul's talking to him and he's saying, Hey, if you think you're something, don't kid yourself. You're nothing. But I think the, the opposite is also true. If you help somebody move, if you help carry somebody's burden, you, without a doubt, know you're part of something bigger and more important than yourself. You've just participated in something great, something grand, something awesome. 
You are more significant as a person for helping somebody than if you didn't. Somewhere deep inside of you and me and everybody we know, there's this crying out, this yearning, this ache to be significant. I want to do something great. I don't want to just eke my way through life. I don't want to just work and pay my bills and, and, and just kind of make it. I want to have an impact. And that isn't just us minister types. <laughs> That's everybody. We all want to do something big and great and significant. That's why we do stuff. That's why we learn to fly. That's why we become doctors. We want to do something great. Something significant. But even if I don't know how to fly and I'm not a doctor, even if I didn't even graduate high school, even if I dig ditches for a living, even if I work at McDonald's, if I can help a group move through this spiritual adventure, I am more significant because of it. I, I, most of you probably know I, you know I tried for a long time to be a rock star, and I was in a band, and we traveled, and, and it was, it was what, it, what, it, what it was, all right? It was what it was. And most of the time, believe it or not, I mean, you'd, you'd be on a stage like this, and if all went well, it'd be a room this size or bigger and be full of people, and you'd do your thing, and they all cheer, and you feel significant. And then that lasts for an hour and a half, and you get on a truck, and you watch Monty Python reruns, and you feel about this big, like you're doing nothing. And most of the experience is like that. This is scary. This, this was an eye-opening shock to me. I thought I would be this significant, world-changing force. No, I sit in a hotel room and wait for somebody to call me. Then I go up and I dance like Ruprecht the Monkey Boy. And then they pay me my money and I go home. Or to the next place. The next hotel room. The next thing. And it is not, I didn't feel significant. I felt very little Except for when, when people would come up to me and share their heart with me. Share how, you know, my parents were splitting up. And I heard that one song of yours and it just really encouraged me. And I, and I want to thank you. And all of a sudden, I felt bigger than a mountain. Because I participated in some tiny little way, shouldering somebody's burden, helping them move through their spiritual journey in their life. And I felt significant. And all of us are like that. It doesn't matter what we do for a living. It doesn't matter what our kids are like. Doesn't matter what a husband or wife is like. If we can participate in something bigger and more important than ourselves, if it's even a group of people whose life I am intimately acquainted with, I can think of all kinds of people in my life because they took a minute to help me move. My life is better and changed. I remember once I was struggling with, with something. And I won't, I won't share with you what it is. That's for a smaller group of people. But uh, I was struggling with something. And, uh, and there was this guy that was in one of my small groups. And he was just, he was, he was a hick. Right? Just a hick. Just a hick. And uh, so he, he began to, you know, we were having coffee or whatever. And, he's, and I, all of a sudden, for whatever reason, I just, bleh, just puked on him. Just, just showed him my heart. About this one thing that was weighing me down, man. This thing was so heavy. And I said, you don't understand, man. I, I feel so weak. Now, he wasn't a doctor. He, wasn't, he, didn't, he didn't do anything great professionally. I think he was like a, a I don't know, a, a pizza guy or something. And, uh, and I, I'm just sharing with him. Because he knew me and I knew him and I knew it was safe. And I said, I, you don't understand, I feel so weak. I'm so weak. I'm so weak. And he looked me right in the eye and he goes, well, 
when you're weak, you're strong. And that was it. That's all he said. <clears throat> he wasn't a preacher. He didn't go to Bible school. He wasn't studied. He just said one little statement. Well, when you're weak, you're strong. And you wouldn't... I remember that to this day. And when I feel weak spiritually, I can almost hear that Hicks voice resonating in my head. When you're weak, you're strong. Now, I know that's a spiritual reality he shared that quick. Because I knew him, and he knew me, and I trusted him, and he trusted me. And that changed my life. Now, I'm not going to say that I'm, you know, I was super sane after that or anything. I'm just telling you, that changed my life. And I still hear him today when I feel weak. See, many of us, we resist being involved in a small group of people because we say, well, I've tried that before and I failed. I didn't make any close, intimate friendships. I, I, don't, I didn't end up knowing anybody. And I didn't bring anything significant to the group. And you have no idea how significant you are. Well, I'm on servant team at church, but I just make the coffee. You have no idea how significant you are to the other people you're making coffee with. Amen. Not to mention us coffee addicts, right? <laughs> you have no idea. You underestimate yourself. You are drastically underestimating yourself. Now, you may not get to see it. You may not, you know, call for a prayer or something to have people come up and, and ask you to pray for them and get saved or anything, but you have no idea how significant you are, and that's what Paul's saying. So he says, help somebody move. Carry a burden because it's the right thing to do. Carry somebody's burden. Jump in there and carry somebody's burden because it makes you more significant, and you'll feel it. You'll feel it. And then he gives us one more reason. It says in verse, uh, verse 6, Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family. What's he saying? Why would he, in the middle of this thing, help somebody move, carry each other's burdens, la-da-da-da-da, flowers and good stuff, and then all of a sudden, don't be deceived, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. If you sow to your sinful nature, you're going to die. But if you sow to please the Spirit, you live forever. What's he saying? Why is that right there? Was he, is he schizophrenic or something? No, he's making a point. Help somebody move. Because as sure as I need hair, sooner or later, you're going to need help moving. Sure as we're all sitting here, sooner or later, you're going to need somebody to stick their shoulder under that burden you're carrying. Even physical movers, people who helped me move physically three times now in the last two years. Some people, three times, they're there the whole time. Missy Belanger told me, last time she helped us, helped us move. She said, we're helping you move because we might be moving too. It's very practical, that woman. Very practical. But there's a spiritual reality there. Sooner or later, you're going to have a burden that's too heavy for you to carry. Think of stuff you go through. Think of the real heavy stuff. If you didn't have a, a, a group, a small group, people that knew you, around you, I would have been toast a couple of times. You reap what you sow. Help somebody move because sooner or later you're going to have to <laughs> you're going to have to collect on that. You're going to have to be able to call up your homies and say, okay, I'm going through this. 
And it's, remember, it's everything. I'm not just talking about pain and life. I'm talking about joy. The real heavy joy that you got to have, you got to share with somebody. I'm talking about the in-between. The mundane of life. Once we were on the road, uh, another rock and roll story and then I'll stop right there, right? Once we were on the road and... Uh, as I told you, most of the road experience, the rock and roll lifestyle is very, very dull and boring. And we got to this one place in Diddy Wah Diddy. I don't remember where it was. And, and they gave us golf carts. Now, you understand, when you get there in the morning, you wait a long time. That's a long wait. That's hours and hours of waiting until the show that night. It's a long time in the middle there, in between, before you get the high of the show that night. They gave us golf carts, and we had hours, so we got squirt guns. <laughs> I don't know. And so there's four of us, me and my small group, my homies, the guys in the band. And there was this, we were staying in this hotel that had one of these long ditches in the back, the kind you could drive through. <laughs> And so we'd drive through these things, face each other, one end of the high part of the ditch, the other at the other end and say, at my signal, unleash hell and hit the gas, right? And come blazing down the hill. Now, I'm, I was 30-something years old. It's stupid that I was doing that. That's, that's a kid's game. But man, it sure did help me move through that boring time. That time in the middle is a killer. There's the high, high. When your kids are born, when, when something great happens professionally, you, you got to have a group. This, for all that it's good for, and it's good for a lot, does not cut it. Just can't do the job. And coming in here like many of us do, watching a sermon or whatever, getting a little scripture in you and turn around and walking out and not saying a word to anybody that doesn't cut it some joys are too heavy for that some middle parts are too heavy for that and then obviously the low part the pain you know once i was uh would have been 20 years ago now i was 20 something at the time and uh and I was working at like a construction job, and it was Friday. And back then, they didn't have direct deposit like they do now, you know. And so Friday was the day you took your check, and you went to the bank, and you go to cash it. And in your mind, you're planning out everything you're going to do, and I'm going to get some rims for my car, and I'm going to, you know, and I'm thinking all this stuff, and I'm all excited. It's, it's Friday. It's payday. I'm at the bank, and I'm filling out my deposit slip, and I'm just having a great time, and I'm singing and laughing, and I can't even wait. Think about what I'm going to do that night. And out, out, of, out of this ear, I, I look over and there's, I hear some, a voice, a lady's voice. She's talking kind of loud to a bank teller. And, she, and she, she's like, excuse me, I, just, I need you to know, see, my husband is demanding alimony. And so I want to open this account so that I can put money in there just for al- so I can pay him his alimony. Because my, my ex-husband is demanding his alimony. Now... Times have changed quite a bit. But I'm from the South, and I was 21 years old, and that was just weird to me. Now, I know times have changed, and, and lots of ladies make more money than men, and, you know, what, however, they, you got to work that out when you split up. I get it. But back then, that hit me really strange. I'd never heard of anything like that before because I always thought you get married and if, if it doesn't work out, then the guy goes his own way and he makes his own money. And if the girl needs taken care of, he has to send her money. And if he's got kids, he's got to send them money. And that's just what you got to do. And so I was just shocked. I was taken aback. And she was loud. Typically, when you're talking to a bank teller, that's a very private transaction. Particularly if your checkbook looks like mine, you want to keep that stuff on the DL, right? Hush, hush, you whisper, right? But she was loud, and I heard her, and I have no idea why. I went, your husband's demanding alimony from you? Now, again, no offense to anybody. If you're in that situation, all right, just relax, right? But it was just weird. And she turned, I kid you not, and this is a crowded bank on a payday on Friday. She turned, and in just a louder voice, she good, she good. 
The job he held for the longest was Papa John's. Loud. Everybody in the bank turned and looked. I'm like, and I was embarrassed for her. I'm like, sweetie, you're kind of airing out your, your dirties right here in front of everybody, you know. You need to. She said it just as loud as she could, man. And what I do, I went, that's stupid. I turned around and walked out. Did my business, walked out. I got to the, got to the uh, sidewalk. I kid you not. Uh, this is going to sound weird to everybody, whatever, okay? I felt like God spoke to me right there. And it's real simple. It's like, is that the best you got? And I stopped. See, that, that woman, she wasn't talking about how her, how her husband couldn't hold a job. What's she really saying? Pain. Pain. Could somebody, anybody, can I get a few people, even strangers at a bank will do, to help me carry this heavy, heavy thing? And that's some pain, man. I mean, I've never been divorced, praise God. And by the grace of God and good decisions and my wonderful wife, I never will be. But I got lots and lots and lots of great, wonderful friends who have been. And some of them have told me, that is one of the most painful, ridiculously painful things a human being can go through. That tears you apart. Could it be? People just aren't designed to carry divorce on their own. Could it be that there's some pain Could it be that people just aren't designed to carry the death of a loved one on their own? Don't we need a group? Scripture would say so. Help somebody move. Get your shoulder onto that burden. Some of you are saying, okay, all right, I get it. How do I do that? Because I've tried this whole small group thing, and it's weird and awkward. It's not always that way. Don't quit. You go a couple, three times, tell a few jokes, chips and dip. gets a lot better. And then it gets great. Then it gets really, really great. Oh, I'm busy. Wah. <laughs> We're all busy. We're all busy. We make time. You make time to go have a beer with your small group at the bar, which is fine. I'm, I'm just relax, okay? But if you can make time for that, you can't make time to help somebody move through spiritual highs and lows and in between. Of course. I sound like I'm pointing a finger. We don't do that at K2. That's why I love it here. But today, (laughs) I am. I am. Well, I don't know where to start. Okay, I'll give you a great place to start. Go home. Get on your computer. Go to our website where you take your survey. If you're low in connection, and that's the one area you want to grow in over the next 50 days, there's a little stick figure there with a backpack on. Move the finger over the left mouse clicker. 
and click right on him. Wow, that's tough. And it'll bring up a whole bunch of stuff to get you started. Or, okay, you don't want to do that? You're not a computer person? Fine. Walk right out of here, and there'll be a nice person right there at the info booth. Usually a nice person, really nice. And ask them, I need to get into a small group. I need to get connected. I need to help somebody move. As the band comes up, let me encourage you with this. This is serious stuff. This is real life, real tough stuff. There are certain things in life we aren't designed to carry by ourselves. And this won't cut it. Do something. Do something. And I guarantee you, you'll find, if you'll stick to it like it's important, like you're really significant, like you're making a difference, you'll actually find it to be one of the most rewarding things you can imagine. And this is very selfish of me, and I'll just leave you with this thought. As we're going to move into worship, and worship in and of itself is an uncomfortable thing. Worship in and of itself is like going to a small group for some of us for the first time over and over every week on a Sunday because it requires that we lay ourselves out there. It requires that we make ourselves vulnerable, much like you'd have to do in a small group at some point. As we move into worship and you begin to sing, whatever your voice sounds like, you begin to just put yourself out there, just sing. Pray and ask God, okay, God, I'm down with this small group thing. I'm convinced. What is my next step? And then sing and listen and sing and listen and see if he won't tell you standing right here today what that is. And then walk out of here and go do it. Go do it. But let's do this. Let me pray. And let's start that process with God this morning in worship. God, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word that says we are to step up and bear one another's burdens. I pray that we would be that kind of people. And Lord, I pray that you help us to see the pain and the joy and the in-between that we need to be stepping up and helping people carry. And I pray that you reveal to us now in this time of worship, as we lay ourselves out there and we sing, we make ourselves vulnerable, I pray, Lord, reveal to us our next step and enable us to do it. In Jesus' name.